It is such a privilege uh, that I get to share God's word with you this morning. I do. I count it as a privilege. I'm grateful um, that I could help deepen faith. That's what I want to do. And I want to continue this worship of God through just the proclamation of his word, that his word would just lead us into deeper faith. And even as we celebrate a communion, I'm just going to be continuing that on of what we were confessing and remembering of the gospel of what Jesus did as we look at another psalm uh, in the scriptures. Yeah, we're going to continue our series in the book of Psalms. Um, We've gone over four psalms already. If you haven't been uh, here all the time, we've been going through the book of Psalms and we've um, went over Psalm 1. I've kicked it off with uh, Psalm 1 and then we've heard from uh, Psalm 139, Psalm 146, Psalm 127. If you haven't heard these messages, I encourage you, go on our website. You can listen to them to be encouraged because I hope you've really learned something more of God in a way that maybe you haven't learned of God before because the Psalms gets into a more intimate and deeper realization of God's plan and what he asked for us and then our response to him. So today, I want to go over Psalm 51. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn to Psalm 51? If you don't have a Bible, you can use the the Bible in the pew back in front of you. I think it's page 474. Um, You'll find Psalm 51. Now, Psalm 51 is a prayer, a prayer for forgiveness of our sins. And like I mentioned earlier, we did that when we had communion, uh, Nate led us in confession of our sins. And this psalm is really kind of an emphasizing of that. And maybe even gives us words on what we are to say when we're asking God's forgiveness of our sins in our lives. There is a kind of a subtitle that uh, in the beginning part of there in your Bible, some of you have in your Bible, some of you may not, in Psalm 51, um, it, it describes the incident of when King David sin uh, of adultery with Bathsheba. Uh, it's an incident in which David broke several of the Ten Commandments, not only adultery, but coveting, murder, and, in order to get what he wanted. And so let me give you a little backstory uh, of this psalm. The reason why King David you know, wrote this, how God inspired him in writing this because of the situation that happened in his life. King David was uh, out and he saw a woman from his rooftop bathing and she was beautiful and he desired her. Uh, Maybe more than just desired, he lusted after her. And because of his uncontrolled lust, he committed adultery with her. Bathsheba, who was married to a man named Uriah. And this man, Uriah, was a soldier in the Israelite army serving King David. And the story goes that after uh, David had laid with Bathsheba, David tried to cover his sin in a couple of ways. One, he tried to make Uriah lay with his wife through manipulation and even trying to get him drunk. But that didn't work. Uriah didn't lay with his wife. And then, I believe out of utter frustration, King David wrote a memo to Joab, which was a commanding officer, to tell Uriah when he returned to the front lines of war, a war between the Israelites and the Ammonites, to abandon the front line uh, soldiers to the enemy by an unexpected Israelite withdrawal. And then when this happened, 
Uriah died in battle along with other men. David had Uriah killed by his command. And, and it states at the end of 2 Samuel chapter 11, and again in the Old Testament of the Bible here, that David did what displeased the Lord. His sin set events in motion that would really torment King David to the end of his life. The prophet Nathan came to David and through a parable, a story that teaches a lesson, shared with David how the Lord had given him everything, but still took from Uriah what was not his to take and sinned against the Lord. And the prophet Nathan said, why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? Well, David's response to Nathan was confession of his sin and repentance, as is stated in 2 Samuel chapter 12. Now, David recognized that he sinned, and then Psalm 51 is a cry of David's heart to God for the mercy of God and for his life that would be devoted to the praise and worship and service for God. Now, I would like to read all of Psalm 51 with you so that you could hear the whole cry and, and, the, and the repented heart of David as he is coming to the Lord with his sin. So would you follow along with me in Psalm 51, starting in verse uh, one. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. In sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Verse seven, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltless, O God, O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Do good design in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then Will you delight in right sacrifices and in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings? Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Let's pray that God would speak to us through his word. Oh Lord Jesus, 
I pray that now that your word would illuminate into our hearts and our lives. Transform us by your word. The very words that you've given us to learn of you, to know of you more, and to know what you ask of us to do. Speak, O oh Lord. Speak through me. I pray, Father, that my words would clearly proclaim all of who you are. May the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O oh God, my rock and my savior. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. When you look over these verses in Psalm 51, do you hear the heart of David? Do you hear the beauty of what God is and who he is in this psalm? It's truly a cry. It's a longing of a heart to know God more. It's bowing down low, pleading, oh, for the mercy of God and declaring the salvation of the Lord. This psalm is a confession of sin and a, a heart of repentance, turning to God because of sin. We do not see specifically God's forgiveness that he has given to David in Psalm 51, but we learn later, or actually we learn in another book of the Bible, I should say, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12, when David was confronted by the prophet Nathan of his sin that he did to Uriah and Bathsheba and ultimately to God, it is recorded that David confessed his sin and then Nathan stated that God forgave him. And so we come here to Psalm 51. And I, again, I, I said this when I talked about Psalm 1. I appreciate this genre or type of literature the book of Psalms gives. It's poetic in nature and giving a more intensity in feeling to reveal the heart. And this is what we read here. And I know some of you here sitting here, well, you may say, I don't feel the intensity. I don't feel that. Uh, maybe as some others do. But I hope to help you to understand it a little more and to connect it a little more to your heart and what is being proclaimed here in Psalm 51. In the end, God wants your heart. I mean, he wants your minds too. I mean, Jesus said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. But I encourage you, try to see this with your heart. That's why I shared the backstory of what was happening to King David and, and his heart at the time when he was writing this so that you too could maybe connect with something that you're going through in your life and in your circumstances and that you would see your need and cry out to God. I want you to know he's here. He's here and he's waiting and he wants to hear your cry to him. Right away in verse one, we see the character of God, that God is mercy, that God is love. It says there in verse one, have mercy on me according to your steadfast love. His consistent love. He has unfailing love. And then it says, and there also in verse one, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. God is mercy. He is merciful. He is great in compassion towards us. He shows kindness towards us, grace towards us, even when we don't deserve it. These are the attributes and or characteristics of the God of the Bible. How wonderful it is to know that the God of the universe that sets the stars in the skies, who made everything, 
is merciful and loving. Even though he's all powerful, full of strength, almighty God, he's also loving and compassionate in mercy. So if you're wondering, oh, does God love me? Will God show me mercy for my sin? Yes, he will. He is here. You may not always feel that God loves you, but God is love. He is mercy. And as we go through this psalm together, I hope you see it more. I hope you see it in a greater way than you have before. There's three main points that I want you to take away this morning. The first point is this, and we read it here in Psalm 51. The first point is that you would recognize your sin, that you have sin in your life and that you've sinned before God. The, the second thing that I want you to take away this morning is that you'd recognize your need for a savior, someone to help you out of this sin problem that creates a divide between us and God. And the third thing I want you to take away this morning from this psalm is that there's a call to proclaim God's salvation, the call to tell others about the mercy and love of God. So let's look at, uh, I want to focus in on a few verses of this Psalm 51. I want to focus on them as verse 9 to verse 13. So look at verse 9. Verse 9 says, Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. You know, David proclaims multiple times in this psalm his sin before God. He recognizes his sin as sin, which is offense to God. It's displeasing to God. It's rebelling against God's law, denying and disobeying the truth that is found in God's word. That's what sin is. In verses three through five, look at that. It says, for now my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Verse 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. You see, the Bible proclaims that sin is in our very nature from birth. In the New Testament of the Bible, Romans chapter three, it says that there is no one righteous. No one does good. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, me included. We have to realize that we do not do right all the time. No one is perfect. All have sinned. And ever since the first man and woman was created, there has been a rebellion against God's law Therefore, we have followed in this pattern of sin and inherit, inherited a sinful nature. Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 12. I'll have it here on the screen. It says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that one man, Adam, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. I think most of us would agree with this, when you honestly think about your life and look at your life, we are all prone to sin and make mistakes. We miss the mark of God's standard of perfection and holiness to be without sin. The Bible states there is only one that was perfect, who was without sin, that walked among us, and that was Jesus the Christ. 
And so this is our standard. If we are to be with Jesus and in relationship with him, we too must be holy and blameless without sin. Well, David stated in verse three and four in this Psalm 51, that he knew his transgression and sins. He recognized that he was a sinner and his sin was offense to a holy God. In verse nine, as I read there, it says, hide your face from my sin. It states, you know, our sins should be hidden from God. And yes, that's true because God is holy, holy, holy. We sang it this morning. Do you believe that? I think when I was singing that song, I was bowing my heart thinking, oh God, you're so holy. And I am not. I'm full of sin. How would you look upon me? I think about the story in the book of Isaiah when the prophet Isaiah came face to face with God. It, it writes in, a, in Isaiah chapter 6 that Isaiah saw a vision of the Lord and he saw spiritual beings declaring the holiness of God saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And when Isaiah encountered the holiness of God, he declared, oh, woe is me. I could imagine his posture was bowing down low. Woe is me, for I am lost. I'm crushed. I'm nothing. I'm a man, he says, of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King of kings and the Lord of hosts. You know, we too need to understand our position as sinners to a holy God. We should hide. We should be cast away from God and punished for all of our sins in order that there may be justice for the wrongdoing because God is just. Look at Psalm 89, verse 14. This is who our God is. It says, righteousness and justice are the foundations of your throne, of the throne of God. And also steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. So in God's economy, there must be payment for sin. So in order for anyone to be in relationship with a holy God, to have life with God, sin must be removed or atoned for or paid for. If you want to have life with God, then you first need to come to the place of bowing your sinful heart before God and saying as David did, against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Confess your sins to God. Agree with God that sin, it separates you and creates a divide between you and God. And when you do this, when you confess your sin, when you truly do it from your heart, you open your heart to God to do a great work in you. Because the God of the Bible, the God we've come to worship this morning, he's mercy, he's love. And he wants to do a work and show himself as savior and redeemer of your life. Amen. Look at verse nine and then go to 10 and 11 and 12 here. He says, hide your face from my sins, blot out all of my iniquities, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. 
God revealed to David that he is the one who can only blot out all of his sins to create in him a clean heart, to renew him, to keep him close, recognizing that God is the one who brings wholeness to life, to become complete in him. It's recognizing his need for a savior. Can you hear the deep cry of David? He feels extremely unclean, crushed, needing to be recreated. He longs that God will wash him thoroughly and not turn away from him or withdraw his spirit from him, but restore his lost joy of the salvation of the Lord and then be strengthened in him to obey. I believe there is a feeling of helplessness here. Think about his posture, probably hands open, and he can give nothing. He can do nothing to pay for his own sin. There's no way out from his wrongdoing that he has committed. He realizes his sin brought devastation and destruction to his relationship with God. His sin was great. And this is where a penitent person should be. A person who wants to get right with God. He realizes, oh, I'm nothing. A person that feels the weight of his own sin and he cannot stand in the presence of God because he's holy, holy, holy. But God, not just any God, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Moses, and the one we learn later in the New Testament that we learn of as Savior of the world, that is Jesus The God that we've come to worship this morning is the God who is merciful to save and to clean us of all of our sin. So David called out, oh, created me a clean heart. Created me a clean heart, oh God. And let me tell you, this is our God's specialty. He loves, he wants to forgive and clean us of our sins. When you humbly come to God asking from your heart to forgive, he forgives He restores, he recreates us anew. Only God's unfailing love and great compassion can avail such a sinner like David and such a sinner like me and like you. If you offer your heart to God, broken and contrite, as it says here in verse 17, then God will forgive. He'll recreate you anew. There's no sin that is too great for God not to forgive No sin that's so horrible that you think, oh, God can't forgive me of that. Yes, he can, and he will. If you come to him with a broken heart, a contrite heart to him. Hey, David is an example of that. He sinned. He sinned greatly to the Lord, and he came to him with his brokenness. Again, the God I speak of today is a God of love and of mercy. Turn to him in the midst of your sin. He waits for you waits for you to see your need for him and him alone for the cleansing and renewal of your life. He alone can save you. God doesn't want you just to go through the motions or just you know, follow the rules without a heart that recognizes their sin and their need for God as savior. Psalm 51 is ultimately, it's declaring a heart that is dependent on God, saying, God, You're everything, and without you, I'm nothing. 
As I mentioned earlier, in the New Testament of the scriptures, the realization of God as Savior becomes more prevalent in the person of Jesus Christ. The mission of God through Jesus was to save his people from their sins. This has been always the mission of God from the beginning in Genesis all the way to Revelation. He wants to save his people and bring them in relationship with himself. Look look at Romans chapter 5, verses 10 through 11. It says, For if while we were enemies, enemies to God, rebellion because of our sin, We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we were reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. No longer separated because of our sin, but what Jesus did on the cross brings reconciliation between us and God. You can have life with God forevermore, because of what Jesus did. Jesus paid the ultimate cost, took the punishment for all of our sins. When he died on the cross, uh, the Lamb of God, so that we would no longer be separated from God because of our sins. And Jesus rose from the dead to bring complete justification for sin and righteousness to all who believe in Christ When you believe in Jesus and then stand in Christ, you are a new creation, as it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And Jesus proclaimed, if you want to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again, a born anew, calling out to God as Savior. Look at verse 11 and 12, and I want to expound on this a little bit more to hear the cry of the heart of David here and cry of, of what he's calling out to. He says in verse 11, cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Now again, this is a cry and a desire to be close to God. David did not want anything to hinder his relationship with God. You know, when it states here in verse 11, take not your Holy Spirit from me, I believe David was recalling what he knew happened to the previous king of Israel before him, Saul, who sinned against the Lord and turned his heart away from God, trusted in his own plans and did not depend on God. And because of this, it's recorded in 1 Samuel chapter 16 that the that the spirit of the Lord departed King Saul. And God's spirit departing from Saul means that he was no longer divinely empowered to act as God's anointed king over his people and to fight his enemies. So now ultimately, I don't know where Saul's heart was with God. And we're not told specifically in the scriptures, nor have certain knowledge of the condition of Saul's heart. However, the point is here, is that David feared that the same thing that experienced, um, might, that experienced might happen to him. This, he knew that he needed God's power and strength to rule over God's people. So he says, oh God, please do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Like what happened to Saul. David was saying, I need your help, God. I need your guidance. I need your power in order to fulfill what you have called me to do. In the New Testament of the scriptures, I want to say this. We do not see or read that the Spirit leaves a believer in Christ. 
Even when a believer in Jesus sins against the Lord, because even as believers, we still struggle with sin. He will not leave you, nor will you lose your salvation. Remember who you are in Christ. The Bible says when you believe in Jesus, you're a new creation. You have righteousness. You're forgiven, a child of God forever. Even when sin occurs in a believer's life, that does not define who you ultimately are. As believers in Jesus, listen, sure, at times you may not act as a person in Christ or a child of God because of the sins you commit, but that doesn't change what God has done through his saving grace and sacrificial death on the cross for all of your sins, past, present, and future sins. Your identity as a believer in Jesus is Christ in you. Not what you do wrong at times. Whatever sin you may be struggling with, that is not your identity. Don't let it define you. And Jesus said, if you trust and believe in him, he will not leave you. So for the believer, when we sin, it is then that the Holy Spirit, Christ in us, God in us, convicts and moves us to confession and repentance. Listen to the words in 1 John chapter 1. It says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when you truly confess your sins from the heart, not just with words alone, not just giving God lip service, you will experience the forgiveness of your sins. God will forgive you because he's mercy and he wants to work in you. And because of what Jesus did on the cross, it brings forgiveness of all of our sins. However, just as it states in verse 11, take not your Holy Spirit from me. We too can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can quench the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. It's stated in Ephesians 4 and 1 Thessalonians 5 of the New Testament that we can quench and grieve the Holy Spirit, losing the, the joys and the effectiveness of God's work in us. But it's never, we'll never lose the reality that he dwells in us. When you believe in Jesus, the Bible states in Ephesians chapter 1, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. God is in you as a believer in Jesus. When we sin, sin will hinder the work of God in our lives. When we give in to temptation and sin, we can suppress what God wants to do and to reveal to us. We can miss his joy, the joy of our salvation, to the realization that your sins are forgiven, all of your sins. You can miss that, you miss the reality of understanding that when we continue to sin in our lives. God wants you to experience the joy of his salvation in your life. We can hinder the experiencing of that complete love of God in our lives because of sin, quenching and grieving the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. So this prayer that we read in Psalm 51, especially in verses 11 and 12, is a cry out for more of God, a declaration of saying, I need the Lord. It's saying, I'm nothing without you, God. Please direct me, help me, guide me, Fill me. 
Would this be your prayer this morning? Would you pray that? God, I want more of you. I know you're in me, but I want more of you in my life. When I read Psalm 51, I hear of a person who knows who his God is. He knows that God is mercy. He knows that he's loving. He knows that he is the savior. He's confident in who God is. And that's why he lays out all of his sins before him. You don't read of a fear of rejection and our uncertainty that, does God really care about me? No, there's confidence that God does care. God does love and wants to renew and rejuvenate him. Do you believe this? The God I proclaim to you today will save and redeem you if you call out to him. Jesus is waiting for you to call, calling you to turn to him for salvation, to have life with him now and forevermore. Look again at verse 12 and then into verse 13. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold with me with a willing spirit. And then verse 13, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Here's the call. The call for every believer to proclaim God's salvation. It's an encouragement that after we've learned and received the salvation of God, then we're to teach others of this hope that we've been brought into by God's grace. In verse 14 and 15, look at that. It says, it says here, deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Why would he sing aloud of the righteousness of God and declare the praise of God? Because he's been restored, cleansed of all of his sins by God. There's much to be thankful for, but even more, there's much to share with others. So that, when we experience the mercy of God, and have been cleansed of our sins, then we want to tell others also about this. How can we be silent of what God has done for us through Jesus? If one truly has been rescued from darkness, condemnation, shame, and guilt of sin, then would you want others to experience the same freedom and joy of God's salvation too? I know there are some, maybe many, in the church who are silent about their faith in Jesus. They may feel it's not their place to share or they feel inadequate to teach others about God. And I understand those feelings. There's fears of rejection from people and I've, I've felt those at times as well. But I think a really a big factor that prevents people from sharing their faith in Jesus is that they themselves are not experiencing God in their lives, are not connecting with God. They're not reading God's word, praying and worshiping God and serving him. And sometimes as life goes on, we forget the magnitude of all that God has done for us through Jesus. That's why we do communion every first Sunday of the month, to remember, remember what Jesus did. Don't forget this great, gift of God that he's died on the cross for all of your sins, suffered and died to bring salvation 
so that we can be with God now and forever. Today, I want to encourage you to remember all that Jesus has done for you and then share that with others. Share the gospel of Christ. Embody the gospel. Live out the gospel in your life. As God has loved you, love others. But I would say love others greater and more than what you could do on your own with God's love in you. Christ Jesus has forgiven you. Forgive others. But even more, do it more. Forgive more than what you could on your own because of God's mercy in your life. Help others understand that God loves them and has provided a way to experience life with God. It's through Jesus, the gospel of Christ. If God has delivered you from addiction, hurt, struggles, or whatever, share that with others. Let people know that your strength and help, it comes from the Lord. That you have peace because you trust in God's plan and his ways for your life. Share with others how you get through each day with God's help. Share how you know that God is always with you, that he'll never leave you because of what Jesus did on the cross for all of your sins. I would encourage you, don't overcomplicate this. Don't overcomplicate sharing the gospel. Just tell people how Jesus has changed your life and has given you hope, hope for everything that you go through in life. And I also want to encourage you, if there are sins you need to confess to the Lord, and it was already encouraged during the communion time, but maybe you've been still holding back. If you need to confess your sins to the Lord, to get right, and maybe you've been distant from God, you felt that distance, confess your sins to God. Pray to God. Even during our time when we're gonna sing a worship song to close our service, recognize your sin before God. Recognize your need for a savior. The God that we're here to worship, I've said it over and over again, he is merciful, he is loving, and will forgive you when you confess from your heart. Don't feel that God cannot, or that, don't feel that you cannot come to God with your sins. There's nothing too great or too horrible or too ugly that he hasn't seen already. He wants you to be with him. Psalm 51, it's an encouragement for all of us just to come, come as we are. Come as we are with all of our mess and all of our sin before God and ask him to create us a clean heart, to create us anew. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I do pray that you would create in us a clean heart. Lord, we humbly come before you as you have encouraged us in your word this morning through Psalm 51 to bow our hearts to you, almighty God, holy God, and we cry out for your mercy. We need your love more and more in our lives so that we can follow you and do what you've asked us to do, to experience the joy of your salvation every day. Oh Lord, carry us through. Give us that hope 
that you can only give that gives us that right perspective and understanding as we go through life. We need you, God. And I pray for each one this morning that, God, you would speak and move in their lives and help them to follow you and to proclaim you to others in their lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This has been a message from the chapel. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about the chapel or any of our campuses, including Akron, Green, Wadsworth, Kenmore, Cuyahoga Falls, Nordonia, and Medina, please go to our website at thechapel.life.